Father, we ask that as we open up your word and as I open up my mouth, as we uh, seek to open up our ears, we pray that your spirit would come among us and we ask that you would do the work that only you can do. And truly open our eyes so that we might behold your glory, so that we might learn something new about who you are and what it means to be your follower in this world. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. So over the last uh, couple months, I've really been looking forward to getting into the text that we are looking at this morning and, and in the coming weeks, because I have an interest in learning more about what it looks like to be a church, to be a community that is alive to God's Holy Spirit, to be a place where the Spirit of God is free to move and to be at work among us and to kind of like explore together what that looks like. But I have to say that this topic creates some tension for me. And the tension for me is this. On the one hand, I have a deep longing, I have a deep desire to see God do incredible work among us. You know, I open up my Bible, I read in the New Testament about really remarkable things that God did in the early church and among the first Christians, and I long to see God do miraculous, to see Him do really incredible and remarkable stuff in our midst. And yet, on the other hand, it seems to me that the the churches and that the Christians that I have known that talk a lot about the Holy Spirit, that kind of like talk about healings and speaking in tongues and prophecy and this sort of thing, oftentimes seem to go off the rails, or at least in my humble opinion, can sometimes strike me as strange. Anybody else in the house feel like that? And I've lived with this tension for the last three decades. I can remember back, you know, my very first job in ministry was as the assistant to a youth pastor, which is kind of like the assistant to the original manager in uh, the office. Remember that? Come on. But one of my jobs as the assistant to the youth pastor was to plan our youth camps. And I remember one year I'd been reading about, I I actually grew up in a Calvary Chapel, and I'd been reading about the early days in the Calvary Chapel movement and the way that the Spirit of God worked and moved, you know, through the ministry of Chuck Smith among all of these hippies. And I was really longing to see God do a work like that among our students. And so I invited a guest speaker to come to our youth camp who I knew was kind of this uh, spiritually sensitive guy. He actually had worked at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. He went up and planted a church in uh, Corvallis, Oregon. And and he was a really dynamic speaker. And he was known to do these uh, things that we called in those days afterglows, where you'd kind of spend some time waiting on the Holy Spirit to come and to do work among you. And um, so I invited him to come be our speaker. And it was a huge mistake. Our first evening, he came and he talked to us about, you know, all the, the, the word of wisdom and word of knowledge and some of the, the gifts that are, are being spoken of in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that we're looking at today. And then after that, we had a time of waiting on the Lord. 
And so we had all these students, 14-year-olds, 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds, and he invited us into this space where there was some music going, and then uh, he, he kind of spoke a word, a vision that he had had over us, and then he invited anybody in whose heart the Spirit was leading him to, to get up and speak. And then my youth pastor got up and in very, just very loudly began to speak in tongues. Now, I had been in the youth group for about three, four years, and I had never heard him do this, and I was completely freaked out. And all of the rest of the students in there were completely freaked out. And then after that, you know, we went back into our rooms, and there were kids crying in their, uh, in their little dorms with their student leaders. And I remember after that, there was multiple kids whose parents wouldn't let them come back to the youth group anymore because this stuff kind of freaked them out. And I think that's reflective, it's representative of kind of this tension that I face. On the one hand, I desire to see God at work and move. I want to be open to the Spirit of God and what He might want to do among us. And yet, on the other hand, it seems to me that caution needs to be exercised. And I get concerned, and, and, and it didn't seem like that led to the building up of the body of Christ. And so it raises all kinds of questions among us, though. What should we expect God to do? Is God still doing the same stuff we read about in the New Testament? Is he still doing that stuff in our world today? And when you read about God doing that stuff in other parts of the world, why not here? Why not in this congregation? Why not among us? And so there's a lot of questions we have that we carry with us into this text. Now, we're not the first community of believers to have questions about this stuff. Thankfully, the church in Corinth also had questions. And their services were not like ours. There wasn't large groups of people that gathered in a building. Rather, there were smaller groups of people that met in homes. And they didn't typically sit and, and listen for 45 minutes to one guy get up and speak. Rather, it was kind of a lively experience at the church in Corinth. You know, one person would have a word of prophecy, another a word of knowledge, another person might get up and speak in tongues, and another interpreting tongues. And it was kind of this lively, kind of exciting experience. And yet, there were issues and there were problems. And so the church wrote to Paul, and they asked him about spiritual things, about the work of the Spirit in their midst. In fact, when Paul says in chapter 12, verse 1, now concerning spiritual gifts, that word now concerning is a cue for us, and it's been a cue throughout the letter of whenever Paul is responding to a question that they asked him, he says, now concerning. And he gives to them and he gives to us some of the most helpful and insightful teaching, in fact, the longest extended period of teaching that we have in the New Testament on the topic of spiritual gifts. And so I want to invite you to examine what he says in this section under three headings. Number one, we're going to look at the nature of spiritual gifts. A second, the diversity of spiritual gifts. And then I want us to talk very practically about the practice of spiritual gifts, what do you think? Should we go? Let's do it. Okay, let's talk first about the nature of spiritual gifts. What is a spiritual gift? What is a spiritual gift? Look at what Paul says in chapter 12, verse 4. He says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirits, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. And then verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. 
And here's a good working definition of what spiritual gifts are all about. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. We could say that spiritual gifts is an expression of God's grace and power through us for the good of others. A spiritual gift is an expression of God's grace and power through us for the benefit and the good of others. There are two words actually used by Paul in this section to speak about spiritual gifts. We oftentimes take this phrase together, we speak of spiritual gifts, but Paul doesn't use that phrase in our text. In fact, in verse 1, look at what it says. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, the word gifts is not actually there in the original Greek. Uh, instead, there's one word, and it's the word pneumatikon. Can we all say pneumatikon? Very good. And that word can simply be translated spirituals or maybe uh, expressions of the Holy Spirit or another translation that I like is stuff the Spirit does. And so he opens it up. He says, now concerning the expressions of the Holy Spirit, the stuff that God's personal presence does when God is among you. And then down in verse 4, he uses a second term. And it's the word, uh, not pneumaticon, but the word uh, Charismaton. Uh, can we say that together? Charismaton, yes. And the word, this is the word that's translated gifts, and it's taken from the Greek word charis, which means grace. And so whereas the first term might mean the expressions of the spirits, uh, down in verse 4, Paul is speaking of the expressions of grace. And taken together, we get what Paul is talking about here. And what is it? He's talking about the way the Spirit of God uses you and I to be an expression of His grace into the life of other people. In other words, spiritual gifts are not so much what God gives to us, but what God gives to others through us. In fact, Paul puts it like this in Romans chapter 1, verse 11. This is the only place in the New Testament where he actually uses the phrase uh, spiritual gifts together. And he says this, For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Paul here is not speaking of his own spiritual gifts that are his possession. Rather, he speaks about imparting to them something that will benefit them, a spiritual good, a spiritual grace, a spiritual gift. And so spiritual gifts are not so much what God gives to us. They're not our possession. They are what God gives, gives to others through us. One scholar, James Dunn, puts it like this. He says, a gift is never, strictly speaking, my gift. It is rather given to me only in the sense that God chooses to act through me for the sake of others. Indeed, in an important sense, it, a gift is not given to me at all, but only to the one to whom the gift is given. Now, why is this important? Well, because I think what Paul is teaching us about spiritual gifts flies in the face of a lot of the teaching many of us have, have received and a lot of what many of us have assumed about gifts. Many of us have assumed that, look, when you become a Christian, every Christian gets their own spiritual gift, and some Christians have more than one spiritual gift. 
And so a spiritual gift is kind of like, you know, your own possession that you have once you become a Christian. And, you know, if, if you, there's not a whole lot of exciting things going on in your life, you know, you've got the gift of helps or maybe service. But if you're kind of like a Jedi Christian, you might have the gift of prophecy or miracles or healings, you know. But I don't think that's what Paul is teaching us here. Instead, in his conception, spiritual gifts are expressions of God's grace and power through us that bless and benefit and build up others. And so this means, first, that spiritual gifts are not the same thing as natural talents. Now, looking out at you all, you all are a very talented bunch. I mean, there are some of you who, who you are talented, you know, uh, carpenters and others, bakers, some are good with money. Some of you are singers and dancers and rappers. Probably none of you are rappers, but... <laughs> but but, but we're, you, you are a gifted bunch. And in many respects, even as we did earlier today, it is right and proper to recognize that the gifts, the natural talents that we have are given to us by God. And they should be used to benefit other people, but that's not what Paul is speaking of when he's speaking about spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts can sometimes complement natural talents, but they're not the same thing as natural talents. And so, for example, uh, back in the 19th century, the greatest preacher in Britain was a man named Charles Spurgeon. And almost everyone said that Charles Spurgeon, if he was not a great preacher, he probably would have been the prime minister of England because he had just these natural leadership capabilities. He was incredibly eloquent and he could turn a phrase and he had this beautiful voice. And so the spiritual gifts that operated through uh, Spurgeon, they blessed and they benefited his church called the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. And so spiritual gifts, God was expressing his work through Spurgeon, and it was complementing his natural gifts, but it's not the same thing. On the other side of the Atlantic, there was another preacher whose name was D.L. Moody. And unlike Spurgeon, D.L. Moody had no real natural speaking ability. He was often tripping over his words. He was not very eloquent naturally. But when he got up, he could command an audience, and people got saved left and right through the ministry of D.L. Moody, both incredibly effective, but one kind of his God's spirit was active through the natural talents, but then the other, God's spirit was active in spite of his natural talents. So spiritual gifts are not the same thing as your personality type. You know, there are different personalities in this room, and sometimes spiritual gifts are treated as if it's kind of like a spiritualized version of your Myers-Briggs. And so yesterday, I went online, and I took a spiritual gifts inventory test, and it identified for me my three top spiritual gifts. And I, the top one that it identified for me was administration, and... <laughs> That's just wrong. <laughs> right, Natalie? I mean, that's just patently false. And look, personality tests, they can be helpful. You know, I remember years ago taking a personality test with my old staff at Hope Church in Albuquerque. And what I discovered from that is that my personality type, 95% of people had a difficult time with my personality type. And I found that very helpful just to discover. But your spiritual gifts are not to be equated with your personality type. 
And your spiritual gift is not your Christian superpower. You know, everyone, you know, when you become a, when you're born, you get a certain set of gifts, but then when you become a Christian, all of a sudden you get a supercharged set of gifts, you know, and you get Christian superpowers. But you know, spiritual gifts are not Christian superpowers. I think oftentimes what we've done is we've taken very 21st century American modern grid and we have imposed it over the biblical text. What Paul is speaking of in our text are ways in which the Spirit of God manifests His grace and power among us to benefit and to build up other people. Several years ago, an incident took place in a village in Africa, and this was a village where there was no electricity, no pharmaceuticals, uh, no incubators, and a woman died during childbirth. And she left behind a little two-year-old boy and a premature uh, baby boy. And there it gets cold at night, even out in the bush. And to keep the baby warm, they, would, uh, they, they had one bottle in the village, and they heated this bottle up, and they would put it against the belly of the baby just to keep it warm at night. But one day, this bottle, after they had taken it, they filled it with hot water, and it, it burst, and it was no longer usable. And without this bottle, the child would not live another night. And there was a missionary doctor in the village whose name was Helen Rose Vere, and she gathered all the kids, and she said, look, let's play, pray for this newborn baby boy. And one 10-year-old girl named Ruth seemed to go too far. She said, quote, please, God, send us a water bottle. It will be no good tomorrow, God, because the baby will be dead. So please send it this afternoon. And if that were not audacious enough, she then added that God would send a dolly for the little boy so that, the, the, so that he would know that you really love her. The missionary later said that I was put on the spot. Could I honestly say amen? I just not, did not believe that God would do this. The only hope in this remote village is if it were to arrive in a package sent from home, and in the four years that this, this missionary doctor had worked in the village, not one package had ever arrived from home. And she says, besides, if you are packing a care package from the, for, for the equator, the last thing you would think to provide was a hot water bottle. Well, true story, a couple hours after the prayer, a couple hours after a four-year period where they had never received a package, a jeep pulled up and dropped off a 22-pound package for the orphans. And they opened it, and there were clothes for them, and there was some medication. And then the missionary said this, as I put my hand again and grasped inside, I felt it, and I said, could it really be? Yes, a brand new rubber hot water bottle. And she burst into tears. And with that, the little girl named Ruth said, if God sent the bottle, he must have sent the baby too. <laughs> and so she rushed through the package and she found it, a perfectly wrapped baby doll. She said that parcel was packed by missionaries from her Sunday school class in Ireland five months earlier. And the leader of that Sunday school class, for whatever reason, had felt prompted by God to put a, a bottle inside this pear package. And this child in the moment of prayer was filled with faith. And I think this is an example of God's grace coming to expression in the midst of his people for their benefit. And I think this is the type of thing that Paul is speaking of. This is the nature of spiritual gifts. But let's talk for a minute now about the diversity of the gifts. 
So Paul says in verse four, he says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. And then Paul goes into this litany of different examples of spiritual gifts, of ways in which the spirit might graciously manifest himself in the midst of the community. He says one, to one is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, the various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. By the way, we're going to get into tongues in three weeks from now. So depending on where you stand on these things, you can come or not in three weeks. I'm not going to talk about it today. And then he says this, verse 11, all these are empowered by the one and the same spirit who apportions to each individually as he wills. So he begins this section by talking about the great diversity and the great variety of spiritual gifts. Now, there are three or four different places in the New Testament where there are discussions about these manifestations of God's grace and power for the good of the community. One is in Romans chapter 12, verses 3 to 8. Another is in 1 Peter chapter 4, and another is actually later in 1 Corinthians at chapter 12, verse 28, and then also in Ephesians 4. And if you take all of these passages together, you get about 20 different gifts that he's speaking of here. And I think that these 20 gifts are representative, they are not comprehensive of all of the things that God wants to do in the midst of our community. But I think you can probably divide these gifts into some different categories. And Paul gives us three different terms that I think provide a helpful breakdown of the type of gifts that he's talking about here. And so he speaks first about manifestations or revelations of the Spirit. Verse 7, to each is given the manifestation or the revelation of the Spirit. And then he speaks about service. In verse um, 5, he says, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And then he talks about works of power. In verse 6, he says, there are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all and everyone. And so you can broadly kind of create a taxonomy of the gifts in these three parts. Number one, there are revelatory gifts, gifts where God discloses something about himself. When he talks in verse 7 about the manifestation of the Spirit, what he's speaking of there is something that is hidden, that is closed from sight, and all of a sudden it becomes disclosed, and it becomes plain, and you go, ah, I get what it means. And sometimes this disclosure, this manifestation comes through a teacher of God's Word. And so he speaks about an utterance of knowledge. And I think there it's a, it's a reference to the ministry of teaching. And he speaks also in Romans chapter 12 about the ministry of teaching. And I think these are these moments where somebody is out preaching and teaching and what was formerly hidden all of a sudden becomes manifest to you. And you go, ah, I get it now. Have you ever had that experience? You've just been sitting in the midst of a of a sermon or a teaching, and you had been unclear on something in the past, and all of a sudden it becomes clear to you. And sometimes what's disclosed is not something about the Bible. Sometimes what's disclosed by God is something about yourself. 
A little bit later in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul talks about the gift of prophecy. We'll talk about that. But there he talks about somebody who says a word and it exposes somebody. And in that moment, God's gracious work is that he's shining a light on something in your light, life that was hidden maybe to you and maybe hidden to people around you. I was listening to a sermon this last week by a pastor named John Mark Comer, and he shared a story about his wife going to church one day, and she saw this lady across uh, the, the sanctuary, and she, she looked over at her, and she was a clean-cut, you know, homeschool mom carrying a Bible and very kind of like, you know, actively involved in the life of the church, and she just felt in that moment that God was saying to her, that woman is addicted to medicinal marijuana, And so she just walked up to her and she said, you know, I know this is going to sound crazy and strange, but um, would it be okay if I just shared something with you? Are you you using medicinal marijuana and has it become uh, something of an abuse for you? And she just broke down and she started weeping. What happened? Well, something that was close to her, uh, that was close to those around her became manifest and she was disclosed and all of a sudden she was broken and she was brought to repentance. Sometimes what is hidden are the mysterious ways of God in this world. You see, the cross of Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God and yet it's a wisdom that is contrary. It's an inverse of the wisdom of this world. It's a wisdom that proclaims God's humility and God's solidarity with the poor and the weak and the suffering. It's a mystery that discloses God's power in the midst of weakness. And sometimes, you know, you're thinking one way about the world and yet you go and maybe you go to some sort of gathering of Christians and somebody gets up and they speak the gospel and all of a sudden the light goes on inside of you and the ways of God in this world are disclosed to you. And this perhaps is what Paul means by the word of wisdom, because earlier he speaks about God's wisdom being manifest in the cross of Jesus Christ. And so there are revelatory graces of God where God acts to take that which was disclosed and to reveal it. But then there's another category of gifts that he talks about here, and that's the gifts of service. Now, primarily, it's interesting in chapter 12, the the verses we just read, he speaks primarily about kind of more powerful manifestations of God's work in the world. But later in the chapter, he talks about more mundane gifts. And so he says this in verse 29. He says, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? And then he says this, do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Verse 28, back, I'm sorry, I started in the wrong verse. You can laugh. (laughs) Verse 28, and God appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing. So miracles, gifts of healing, and gifts of helping and administering. He sets the miraculous right by the mundane. And both are expressions of God's gracious power in the church. And so you think about that Sunday school teacher that felt a prompting by God to put a bottle in a, in a box, to serve somebody, to care for somebody in that way. And here is the work of the Spirit of God in the midst of the community, both in works of service and in leading and in helping and in generously giving. You know, sometimes have you ever felt that God was just putting on your heart to give to a specific need? You know, this last, uh, at the beginning of this last summer, we raised about $11,000 from among this church to invest in students going to camp. 
And I think at least part of the reason for that was because the Spirit of God was prompting some of you to give generously to that specific need. And you paid attention to God's, work, God's Spirit in your life, and the result was the building up and the edification of the body. So do you see, these are gracious manifestations of God's power and His Spirit among us to build us up and to encourage us. And then finally, the most exciting of the gifts are the gifts of power. You know, he talks about God working all things and empowering our works, energizing what we're doing. And he speaks about these odd, miraculous gifts, like speaking in tongues and interpreting tongues. He speaks about working miracles and of healings. Now, of course, in our modern, kind of enlightened 21st century American society, we do not see much healings in our in our country. But you go to other places where God is at work in this world, where the gospel is moving out to the very fringes in new places and new parts where people are desperate for God and you see miraculous work of God. You see God healing the sick and cleansing lepers and raising the dead. I was listening to a, a talk uh, just recently by a guy named Lee Strobel and he, he wrote a book called A Case for Miracles but he said that there was careful research done on a particular area within Brazil and then also in India where there was just numerous accounts of the miraculous. And they went there and they interviewed just tons and tons of people. What they discovered was that 80% of the converts were a direct result of personal healing in somebody's life. You say, well, why doesn't God do more stuff like that in our midst? Well, maybe it's because where the gospel breaks out in new places and in new ways, that's kind of the stuff God does to validate the movement of the gospel. Maybe it's because we just don't believe enough. Jesus, even Jesus, could not do mighty works in certain places because of the people's unbelief. That may be our problem. Maybe it's just that the Spirit of God moves where He wills. You know, Jesus says the spirit is like the wind and it blows wherever it wishes. And what our text says is that the spirit of God apportions gifts as he wills and according to his own good pleasure. And so we see the miraculous powers of God at work through healing and through freeing people of demonic oppression and of healing people of psychosomatic disorders and of emotional problems and of addictions. God heals, he breaks in and he heals. And this is the work of the spirit of God among us. Now, sometimes what we're looking at here are moments where God breaks in and through you begins to work in somebody else's life. In other words, it's not that you took your spiritual gift test and you found out like, oh, gee, I have the gift of healing. You know, nobody in our churches finds, nobody who takes our modern American, you know, kind of like spiritual gifts inventory test comes away with the gift of healing. But it's not that you're a healer or that you are, you know, you, you just have the word of knowledge and you walk around and you're just dispensing utterances of knowledge everywhere you go, throwing it out at people. But rather, there are moments and times and places where there's an event and the Spirit of God works in our midst and He discloses something. And that is the gracious expression of God's power to heal or to enlighten or to serve or to care or to give or to, to lead. So we've seen the nature of the spiritual gifts. We've seen something about the diversity of gifts. And let's just close by talking for a minute about the practice of spiritual gifts. Can we do that? 
Listen, I want to talk to two different groups of people here this morning as we kind of bring this sermon to a close. And the first group I want to talk to are those of you who, like me, desire God to do new and fresh stuff among us, and yet we're cautious, and yet we kind of get disappointed because when we take a step in those directions, we find ourselves like, it just didn't turn out the way we wanted. You know, the guy spoke in tongues and everyone was freaked out and they went home crying. I want to exhort you on what Paul exhorts us to in this text. A little bit later in chapter 14, he says this, since you are desirous of the spiritual manifestations. He says, those of you in here who you desire to see God do more, you long to see healing and you long to see God speak these words into people's life where they're disclosed and they're, they're, they fall on their face. You long to see God break in and free people. And, and, and you long to see God break in and release people's generosity so that it flows into people's lives. And it's just this magnificent thing. You long to see manifestations of the Spirit. Here's what Paul says. Since you are, you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, this is chapter 6, I mean chapter 12, I mean, chapter 14, verse 12, he says, so with yourself, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, he says, strive to excel in building up the body. In other words, if you want to see God do great things among us, start first with a great desire to see God build up this church family in love, to see us more devoted to Jesus, to see us more profound and compelling witnesses of the gospel in the San Gabriel Valley where people are coming to know Jesus through this church. He says, strive to see this church built up. And as you strive to see this church built up, I was just imagining, for those of you who are in this category, you just long to see the church built up. I was just imagining if every one of us took time every single day of the week and we just began the day like this. We said, God, I want to see our church family built up. I want to see this church transformed into the image of Jesus. God, would you use me for the building up of this church family. If every time before you went into your community group or you came to church, if you just opened up your hands and you said, God, I am a vessel, use me as a conduit of your grace and your power into other people's lives. Do that every day for the next year and I don't know what God, what would happen in this church. I'll tell you this, we would not be the same congregation in a year from now. And so let's do that. Let's pray that God would use us as agents and instruments of his grace in the lives of other people. But secondly, let me talk to those of you who might feel just insecure about what you have to offer this church. Remember back, my, my least favorite time in elementary school was the time when they picked teams uh, to play basketball because they would line us all up against the wall and they would pick two team captains, they were always the best kids, and then they would go down the line and they would pick one after another, a person to be on their team, and inevitably, without fail, I was always selected last. It was before my growth spurt. And it wasn't that everyone was so gifted, you know, that, you know, they were just kind of vying for the, the, the greatest talent. It was just that I didn't have talent. I didn't have ability. I was a detriment to the team. 
And some of you feel like that with the church. You think, what do I have to offer? I'm a detriment to the team. And maybe there's been a time in your life where somebody came up and they said, what, was, what is your spiritual gift? And you're like, I don't know. And then you take the test and it comes back administrative. And you're like, that's not me. I don't know. If nobody's ever calling upon me to administer something. <laughs> Listen, if that is you, I have good news. Spiritual gifts are not about the thing that you are good at. Spiritual gifts are simply an expression of God's grace through you into the life of somebody else. And it might be through you to speak a word into somebody's life. It might be through you to give generously to somebody else's ministry. It might be through you in order to serve somebody in a particular way. It might be through you to pray over somebody and for God to heal them. But you don't have to put the pressure on you to say, well, is this my gift? Is this my thing? Is this what I have to offer the church? Look, you do have stuff to offer the church. You do have lots of talents and natural talents and use those for the benefit of the church. But what you need to be used by the Spirit of God to grace and spiritually enrich this community is not something unique about yourself. You need an openness and a willingness of God to use you. You need to pray that prayer, God, my hands are open, use me today. Use me when I go to community group. Use me when I go over to my friend's house for dinner. Use me when I come together with the worshiping, with the worshiping community. God, use me, and let's just see what God will do. Come to God open for him to use you to grace other people. 